You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. What I want to do today is uh, explore a story in the life of Jesus where we find Jesus in one of these. Now, the word recliner is not used, obviously, but we find him seeking solitude. We find him looking for quiet away from all the noise in life. And on behalf of the disciples in this story, uh, the disciples, you'll soon see, will think about this day as the day that Jesus disappeared. The story happens at the, many, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry as his popularity and the momentum is climbing. And Jesus has, um, is teaching in a synagogue, probably around the age of 30, a synagogue in the city of Capernaum. Now, I want to mention three cities because sometimes it gets a little confusing on the life of Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. But his ministry headquarters, like from the age 30 on, the headquarters were there in Capernaum. And this story that we're going to read today takes place in a synagogue in Capernaum. It's on the Sabbath, meaning the Jewish Saturday. The Sabbath, according to Jewish law, would take place on Friday at sunset, and it would continue until Saturday at sunset. And it's on this Saturday that Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and he's talking about this. This is the topic of the message, what life would look like with God at the center, meaning the center of you, the center of me, the center of all of us together. What would it look like if God was in charge? Like, what life would look like if I received God's forgiveness, and then I gave it as a recipient of God's mercy, and then I gave it, his grace, and then gifted it. This is what it would look like if God was at the center. This this was the message of Jesus. This is the kingdom of God. And right in the middle of Jesus teaching this message in the synagogue, he's immediately interrupted in the middle of the message by a man who begins yelling. Uh, When you read the text, this guy's not just emotionally disturbed. The text implies that he is demonically influenced. Like there's these uh, demons and darkness at work inside of him. And Jesus, from up front, speaks and tells the demonic influence inside the man to be quiet. It stops the man dead in his tracks, and the demons come out. What the crowd, are, what the crowd is realizing as Jesus is doing this, look, he, he's got influence over darkness. He says, stop, and they stop. He says, go, and they go. He says, leave, and they leave. Jesus has this authority over darkness, and so the people are amazed. That afternoon, if you can imagine, as everyone's headed home, that's all they're talking about. Like, can you believe that took place? Um, as a result, verse 28, news about Jesus spread quickly in Mark 1 over the whole region of Galilee. You can imagine what it's like to kind of have a, a still body of water that's small and a large rock that is thrown into the water. And there are waves that take place all the way to the shoreline. If you can imagine, that's the momentum that's tied to Jesus' influence early in his ministry. And the fact that he's teaching and he just says the word and darkness comes out of this man People are impressed. Well, Jesus leaves the synagogue and immediately heads over to the house of Simon Peter. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is living at the house, and she is close to death. Jesus walks into the room where she lay. Jesus grabbed her by the hand, and he healed her. Now, if you thought Jesus had momentum after the synagogue, when he confronted the demonic influence, imagine the influence now as word gets out, because everyone knew Peter's mother-in-law was close to death, as word gets out that Jesus has healed her. So on behalf of this new guy on the scene, Jesus, 
He has authority over darkness, and he has authority to heal. So momentum is like never before. Verse 32, the evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. You have to ask a question. Why after sunset? Well, it's because earlier when I was telling you about the Jewish Sabbath, started on sunset on Friday evening and continued till sunset on Saturday evening. And within Jewish custom on the Sabbath, there were travel restrictions. You could only go so far. Well, since the Sabbath is finished on Saturday evening after the sun has set, people are starting to show up at the house belonging to Simon Peter. They show up almost like a stream that becomes a river that now is a flood. People are everywhere. Now, we forget the importance of kind of what's going on here because we live in a day and age which we have access to doctors, hospitals, medicine. Back then, it was a big deal if anything happened. Let's say you're the parent of a 10-year-old, and your 10-year-old was climbing a tree and falls off the tree and has a terrible break. Uh, what would you do? You had to think because that 10-year-old, when he became an adult, would most likely use his hands, his arms, for skilled labor. And if it did not settle properly, if it wasn't taken care of, his future livelihood was at stake. So you had families bringing kids with broken arms, families that were bringing people that were blind, crippled, or even on their deathbed. They're all taking everyone to Jesus because of his authority over darkness and authority to heal. Verse 33, the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Jesus did not want the demonic publicity. So, think with me. It's getting late at night. Um, People are flooding the house. Specifically, like, right at the door. This is just Mark 1. Mark 2, it it continues. We saw Mark 2 last week. It says, when Jesus came back to Capernaum. Meaning, remember that house? People were at that house when he came back. There was the momentum. People were stacked at the doorway. There was a long line. Kids were in the windows. People were on their tiptoes looking over the shoulders of people in front of them to the point where those four guys even lowered a friend through the roof. Jesus has all kinds of momentum. Like later he would be teaching on a shoreside. People pressing in because they wanted to get physically healed. And Jesus would get into the boat belonging to Simon Peter and press off from the shore to create space. Understand that the momentum is crazy on behalf of Jesus, and that is why we should take note at what happens in the middle of all the chaos. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Is it 5 a.m.? Well, it's still dark. He wakes up. He leaves Simon Peter's house. He finds a solitary place to pray. I'm telling you, this is the recliner. The recliner is a space to shut out the noise of life in order to listen to God and to talk to God. And today, understand that many of us have abandoned this space. Let's think about why. Maybe we've abandoned it because we don't know really what to do in it. I mean, we tried. We set aside 15 minutes, and we thank God for family, a job, great health. And the plan for 15 minutes, all of a sudden, we look down at the watch, and it's been one minute, right? And we're not sure what to do. Uh, maybe, maybe you've abandoned it because you're busy. I mean, after all, there's so many important things. And let's be candid, there's some non-important things that show up. All that busyness affiliated with important or not important, it brings noise. But the noise 
clutters what we should be doing in the recliner. Maybe, maybe we neglect the space because we underestimate what can happen in it. We don't realize that sometimes, maybe not every time, God speaks and he guides us in an undeniable way. Maybe we neglect the space because we overestimated what could happen, what should happen. Like we long for cold chills and lightning strikes. We want clouds to part and God to speak every time we sit here. But it doesn't always work like that. There are days that we simply show up and it doesn't feel like anything noticeable is happening that's different in me. There are days that we show up in the recliner and we feel like nothing has changed. But we abandon the space. We don't try hard enough for the space. And that's why I want to make a big deal and emphasize this space. This space is one of those three environments. The row, the room, and the recliner. One of those three environments, the space that helps you and I become more and more like Jesus. And on behalf of the space, this is a place where I sit and I quietly ask myself, how is my heart? Because so much is at stake on behalf of the quality of my heart. And if I sit there long enough and I listen close enough, God addresses the issue of my heart. And it's vitally important that he does so before I launch into my day and potentially spill everything on everyone else. But this space is important for every person in this room. Whether you're packing a briefcase to go to work, luggage for an overnight stay, a diaper bag for the trips ahead, whether you're packing lunch on behalf of the kids, or you're packing your backpack because of the class ahead. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter the, the age. This space is vitally important for all of us. So, so let's see why Jesus made time for this space. Like, let's ask these questions. Why is he waking up so early? Why is he headed to a quiet place? And why is Jesus, like God's son, praying? There are three observations I want us to make according to the text about why Jesus made this space so important and why it should be so important to us. Observation number one, the seriousness of solitude. I want to look at the verse again, Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He got a way to find silence. He finds a way to escape the noise of the day. He escapes the noise that you and I struggle with. Noise like the news. Noise like scrolling. Noise like texts, emails, calls, radio, specifically talk radio. Noise from the office. Noise from roommates. Noise from family. Or the noise in my own head. That's why the recliner, a space to listen and talk to God, that's why the recliner was a priority to Jesus and it should be a priority for us. I have a confession to make. The recliner, for me, might be easier than it is for you. My kids are now 12 and 15, which means they're not always pulling at us, which means there's actually some quiet space in our home. My choice of the recliner often takes place in the bedroom, sometimes in the family room. More often than not, it's outside, or I get in my truck and go on a drive and park it with my Bible and my journal, and it becomes the recliner. And since I have my choice of quiet spaces, some of you, and rightfully so, are kind of bothered. 
As a parent of young kids, you barely find 90 seconds of privacy to even use the bathroom. Which means for some of you, understand, this space will be a real challenge. The truth is, for all of us, this space, on a daily basis, is a real challenge. Understand, making time for solitude was still a challenge for Jesus. It's why he got up before anyone else. It's still dark. It's why he leaves the town. He finds a silent place. I think the biggest challenge for us in this room to do this is actually the phone. I have the same advantages of the phone that you have. I've got a Bible app and I've got a notes app. I can jot everything down. But I also have the same disadvantage of the phone that you have. I have access every morning to text, emails, voicemail, picture memories, socials, notifications of any sort. Understand, if I bring my phone to this space, I bring the noise of the rest of the world with me. A phone stopped being a phone years ago. So, if I bring my phone, I'm tempted to stare at my phone. And on behalf of the seriousness of solitude, one of the greatest enemies of uninterrupted time with God is interrupted time with God. And unfortunately, especially today, we have all grown accustomed to noise. Jesus found solitude and silence. Without this, we all run the risk of being connected to everything and not relating deeply to anyone, especially God. And there is a challenge for every person in this room when it comes to making a priority for the space called solitude. Jesus took heroic efforts for the recliner to find out what God wanted in a space that was quiet, away from the noise. So, number one, we see the observation, the seriousness of silence. Number two, we notice the cumulative effect of consistency. In other words, this was not a one-time deal for Jesus. This was a habit. Now, we may not pick pick up on the habit in Mark chapter 1, but we see the repeated pattern throughout the other Gospels. How about Luke? Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He'd break away from the noise. Break away from the busy schedule. From demanding people, from questions, from criticism, from accusations and challenges. According to the text again and again, Jesus would often withdraw. It's not just something he did. It's something he did again and again and again. You and I need to understand the cumulative effect of consistency. Meaning, reading your Bible tomorrow for 15 minutes may not make a noticeable difference. Because doing anything for a day might not make a noticeable difference. Try exercise for a day. Try healthy eating for a day. Try saving for a day. It's not the day. It's the accumulation of days. Meaning this, our lives are not formed by what we do. They're formed by what we do again and again and again. So as we read about Jesus and this space, the recliner, understand Jesus made time for this, but not one day. He did it again and again and again and again. It was a habit. For you and I, in order to embrace a habit, 
we have to let go of some habits. Some of you in the room, on behalf of the recliner, your recliner time happens in the middle of the day. And I want to say kudos. Some of you, it happens at 10 in the morning when your toddler finally takes a nap. Some of you, it happens right after the kids go to school. Some of you, your recliner time takes place before bedtime. And some of you take your cues and you're like, man, I'm going to do it first thing in the morning to start the day. Here's what I want you to understand. There is always competition for this space. Like, you can even say, let's say it's 6 a.m. You're saying, Tim, there's competition at 5 a.m.? No, 6 a.m. competition comes the night before at 11 p.m. The reason we have a tough time reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke is because we spend all our time watching Netflix, Amazon Prime, and YouTube. It's the night before. And in a weird, twisted way, it's kind of like we're prioritizing getting mentored and discipled by TikTok, content creators, by celebrities, by athletes. And there's nothing wrong with spending time looking at those things. But at the expense of this place, I'm telling you, it does damage. If we're in the habit of doing things really, really late, it's going to be hard to get up really, really early. But don't think there's just competition early. Anytime you set a time for the recliner, there is competition. Uh, Let's go back to Peter's house. Um, As we return to Peter's house, this is the following morning. People are still there. Remember, it was after Sabbath and they're getting healed. They're still there the following morning. And understand, while they're there, they're waiting in line. They want to see Jesus. The disciples wake up. They look over. Jesus' spot where he was asleep, is he's gone. Uh, there's not even a note there. And the problem is the disciples know that everyone is outside of Simon Peter's house waiting to get healed. The person they want to see is a no-show. The disciples feel the pressure of the momentum of ministry. Like everything is at stake. we got to get Jesus. They even send out a search party to find Jesus. Because people are waiting. I'm telling you, this is the day the disciples would think, oh, that was the day that Jesus disappeared. Let's look at verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, hey, everybody's looking for you. You got to get back at the house. Quick. Momentum of ministry. It's at stake. People need you to be healed. Jesus, they're waiting in line. To which you think Jesus would apologize. To which you think he'd hurry back. After all, physical healing is extremely important to all the people that were in line. However, we read this. Jesus replied, hey, let's go somewhere else. To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. And that is why I've come. So we see the seriousness of solitude in the recliner. The cumulative effect of consistency, not just one day, but again and again and again. Now we see this, the clarity of priority. This is my favorite part. Very early in the morning while it's still dark, Jesus wakes up. He leaves town to go to to the outskirts of town to find a quiet place to be with God. And he does so on a high pressure day. People with all kinds of demands, a to-do list that is beyond belief. And while he's in the recliner, he gets clarity on behalf of God-given priorities. Pay close attention to what takes place. Remember at the beginning how we started about the message that he was teaching about the kingdom of God? 
how the kingdom of God must come, and it's showing up in Jesus what grace, forgiveness, and mercy looks like. Pay close attention. We begin to notice there's somewhat of a tension between the time Jesus spends healing people and the time that he spends teaching people. I mean, think about what's happening. Go back to Simon Peter's house. The people are not standing in line at 6 a.m. to hear a sermon. They're standing in line because they want someone to be healed. And Jesus is feeling pressure from others to do the things that they want. Physical healing, according to the Father, is great. But spiritual healing, people becoming aware of the kingdom of God because of his teaching, it's what's most important to God. The forgiveness, the mercy, the grace, the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you this. The decision to go somewhere else to teach was made right after Jesus' time in the recliner alone with the Father. But the Father gave him clarity on behalf of priorities. Guys, this happened again and again and again with the life of Jesus. It should happen again and again with us. The next story, there is a man with leprosy. It comes up to Jesus. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is trying to lay low in the next town because he needs to teach the message. And once they find out that he's healing, it's almost like the healing trumps the teaching. So a man with leprosy walks up to Jesus and he says, Hey, uh, if you're willing, I know you can, would you heal me? And it's like Jesus, according to the text, looks around and he's like, Okay, I'm going to heal you, but don't tell a word to anybody. And in a moment of extreme obedience at the end of Mark 1, the guy can't help it. He's healed. He goes and tells everyone. Listen to this, verse 45. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, here's the result. Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Isn't it crazy? Like, like he's trying to stick with the thing that God called him to do. Because how are they going to hear the message their need for the Father, unless he says it. But people are demanding that he does something else. There is a tension between the time he spends healing, which he wants to do, and the time he spends teaching, which he needs to do. And understand, understand what's taking place in the alone space, the quiet space, is an awareness where Jesus says, I know who I am, and I know what it is that I'm supposed to be doing right now. That's clarity on behalf of priority. Uh, another story that proves this, back in Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Check this out. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. All by himself, all night. Sounds pretty extreme, doesn't it? An entire night praying. You ready for this? Do you know why he spent the entire night praying? Because the very next day, he chooses 12 disciples. God was giving him clarity on priority. You see, by that time, Jesus had a big fan base. It was starting to grow. And he's alone with the Father in the recliner, and he's saying, Father, of all these, will you give me clarity on which 12 you want me to pick? I'm telling you, in this spot, alone with God, he reminds you and he reminds me about clarity on behalf of our priorities. We get tugged. We get pulled. But this place has us centered. One more example. The night that Jesus was arrested. Garden of Gethsemane. 
a guy named John, one of the disciples, he's paying attention to the prayer that Jesus is praying. Notice this prayer that Jesus prayed. John 17, verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus is the only person that could pray that prayer with total honesty and complete integrity. He's saying, God, I finished the work that you gave me to do, that you gave me to do. Because in this space, time alone, again and again and again, you gave me clarity on behalf of the priorities, which means, I'm telling you, the recliner is an environment for growth. Not just because we pray, but because in this space, we're quiet. We read and we listen. If I come to the recliner and I only, which has happened, I only tell God a list of my wants and my needs, like, God, there's this opportunity. God, there is this challenge. There's this crisis management. God, there is a big presentation that I have to make. If I come to the recliner with just my list of priorities, that's not where it's at. I get along with God to hear his priority on behalf of what he wants done for my life. So we pray this prayer. God, please give me clarity on your priorities. And we echo the prayer of Jesus so that I can do the very thing that you wanted me to do. Understand, in the morning, when we wake up and get in this recliner, God's already been awake for a while. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, The Father does not sleep, nor does he slumber. Can I tell you the significance of that statement, of that verse? That means it's really not about inviting God into my day. It's about me being invited into God's day been up way before me think about the significance here i'm joining his world and he was active in this world long before i was born and on behalf of this world it will be active long after i'm gone and this space right here reminds me of the priority on behalf of what god wants all of us know what it's like to be around little kids that are first learning to talk uh, when they first start talking in complete sentences, it's like, I want, I want, I want, give me, give me. You know what? That's fine in the early stages because that's their starter language. We expect it from kids. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you find yourself in a spot like this and all you're saying is, I want, I want, I want, there's a time that you should grow. Because we're just giving him our priorities. What would it be like for us to position ourselves in such a way that we're asking for his? And Jesus taught us to pray this way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's the kingdom message. And in order for his kingdom to come, the list of priorities, I have to let my little kingdoms go. That's my priorities. And we all begin to discover this in the recliner. It is important to vocalize your wants, but it's more important to establish priority on what God wants. And on behalf of the recliner, when you make this space a priority, things will occur to you in solitude and silence that would never occur to you in the presence of noise. This week, as I jotted down things in the recliner, I asked the question all the time, okay, Tim, how's your heart? 
God, what is it that you need to address in my heart? Things like, you know what? I start arguments and I don't care about resolving them sometimes. I see it at the house. I'm preoccupied with getting notice for something I did, whether it's at work or at the house. I really, really, really like being liked. That one came on Monday morning um, on the heels of last Sunday. You know, a lot of great things happening and people vocalizing frustrations about little preferences here and there. And I was bummed and down and had to go on a log drive because I was disappointing people. And God's like, Tim, you are overly concerned with being liked. I find myself paying more and more attention to how I look the older I get. My heart, I complain a lot. Maybe not to others, but to myself. I find at times my heart kind of gets numb. Sometimes I just don't like myself. I hate to say it, but I discover that in that space. Sometimes I get angry with life. And sometimes I'm even disappointed with God. But when I am honest and candid about what's going on in here, in that space, God begins to change me. You know what he does? It's, it's a total renovation of the heart. It's a teardown of all that stuff. It's a buildup of the Holy Spirit that is alive in me. You know, I made this statement last week, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful statement and worthy of all exception. That Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, among whom I'm the worst. But this past week, I dwelled on the next verse. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that inside of me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The reason I spill is so that. Like my heart condition, I'm just letting you know. Because I've been a recipient of mercy. I'm going to give it. I've been on the receiving end of grace and I want to give it. This is the kingdom of God. What, what life would look like, right? If you're forgiven and you decide to gift it. If you've experienced mercy and you decide to gift it. If you've experienced grace and you decide to gift it, I'm telling you, it happens Right here. And Jesus modeled it. Like he got up real early while it was still dark. And he left the house to find quiet and solitude. He left town. And there in the still, that still space, he listened to the voice of God. And he talked to the Father. I'm telling you, as we look from Jesus in this space, we learn a lot about the necessity of this space for us. The seriousness of solitude. Think about it. There's a lot of noise in life. The phones, the voices of people, the voice inside of my head, a busy schedule. The seriousness of solitude, it'll change everything. There will always be competition for the seriousness of solitude, I promise you. So we see the seriousness of solitude. In this space, we see the cumulative effect of consistency. This space, 15 minutes one day, may not change you. But day after day after day, this space, God starts to change you. And then we're reminded in this space, the clarity 
on behalf of your priority. As a dad, husband, as a man, as a parent, as a wife, a mom, a friend with a busy schedule, lots of demands, a long to-do list, you sit here. And on behalf of your heart, you begin to ask God, okay, God, this is the stuff. Can you give me clarity on what you want? And I'm telling you, all of that happens right here. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to think for a second. The first week in the series, on behalf of Rose, we said something, something happens in the row. James warned us about, he said, there is, there's a chance that we forget. We forget to do something. So somewhere between the row and your residence today, there's a temptation to let, let go of something that you need to do. So let's ask one thing. What's one thing that God has nudged you to do on behalf of the recliner? The seriousness of solitude. The cumulative effect of consistency. Not one day. But day after day after day. Again and again and again. A habit. And then the clarity. On behalf of priority. The prayer of Jesus. He did the very thing that God wanted him to do. So on behalf of your heart, what would it look like if you made space to ask God on behalf of the kingdom of God? What's the one thing you want me to do? Father, I pray that you would take this text and in a unique way begin to make heart change in the lives of people because of the recliner a place that we get caught in your presence and I pray this in Jesus name